1: Welcome to the New Books in Politics podcast on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Bill Scher. Today we are joined by longtime investigative journalist, Northwest correspondent for the Southern Poverty Law Center and author of the new book, Alt-America, David Nyward. Thanks for being on the show.
0: Always good to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me.
1: So this is a book that uh, traces the history of the uh, alt-right movement. Uh, but you have been on the beat of uh, far-right extremism for a long time. Tell us a bit more about your background and what led you to write this book.
0: Well, my first newspaper job was in the Idaho Panhandle back in the late 70s, and that was just about the same time that uh, we had the Aryan Nations uh, folks moving in to that same neck of the woods, just 20 miles south of the town where I was working. And so I had pretty early exposure to them. Um, and they always kind of lurked in the background of the work I did as a daily news reporter in various newspapers around the Northwest because, um, you know, it was a pretty steady stream of, of criminality that they and violence that they brought to the region. And so, you know, it was always part of my reportage. And then in the 90s, I started uh, writing about uh, these militias that were organizing in the back in the backwoods up here and um after oklahoma city i wound up sort of being a so-called militia expert because i was one of the only guys who'd actually gone out and talked to these guys anyway it, it i wound up having a lot of that work to do over the years uh i was originally environmental reporter but uh uh this kind of work this kind of, kind of one thing led to another and i Came to the realization, you know, in, about in the late '90s, that you know the radical right was a beat all unto itself that needed to be covered, and so I've just kind of stayed on it all all these years as a freelance journalist, and um, as you know, I I started up a, a blog that um, basically specialized in that sort of thing.
1: So when, so when the alt-right was coming together uh, in 2016 uh, when Steve Bannon, who was uh, leading Breitbart News at the time, talked about Breitbart being the place for uh, the alt-right, um, were you surprised by that? Was it part and parcel of what you've been covering all this time or was it truly its own independent thing?
0: Oh, no, it was – it really kind of – I mean, the alt-right really is just – sort of the latest permutation of the radical right. And in fact, Alt-America really is sort of a 30-year history of how we got here. Um, because it, it dates the origins of uh, this this movement to the 90s and, and the militia movement. But it also, um, you know, it, it is unique in its own way, particularly in the way it uh, leverages technology and that it, the way that it, Uh, gears its appeals to young people and uh, uses social media those are very new things and and part of it and so you know it's both it's very much a mix of old and new Um, and let's be clear too some of a lot of what I write about isn't necessarily the alt-right when I'm talking when I write about the uh, malheur standoff and the clive and bundy element the folks in the patriot militia movement who believe me are very much still active out there in rural america we're not really talking about the alt-right that's not the alt-right that's the patriot militia movement they're kind of distinct and uh, so
1: and so what so what what, what is the difference
0: there well it's so they, they have a, a coalition coalescence of interests uh, that are manifested in Donald Trump. Uh, but Trump really just kind of rose to the moment and, and took advantage of these uh, things that were already uh, were already very much in motion and had been in motion for a long time.
1: It, it, it can be hard to grasp uh, how is it that this, these fringe movements have been around for such a long time. Uh, but have mainly been on the fringe. How is it that a Donald Trump could leverage them to win the presidency? Usually these are groups that Republicans are trying to show distance from. Uh, what is it about the current incarnation of of the far right fringe that uh, was able to actually uh, help directly put someone into the White House?
0: Well, that has to do with what happened the preceding eight years during those eight years. Uh, what had been on the fringe was very uh, gradually but unquestionably mainstreamed uh, by the mainstream conservative movement, uh, by people in the mainstream conservative movement, and particularly by media folks such as Fox News. Um, you know, Glenn Beck was running this conspiracy theories, uh, these conspiracy theories. Uh, back in 2009 and 2010. And what we particularly saw was that the Tea Party movement uh, became a major conduit for the revival of the patriot militia uh, mentality. Uh, Remember, the fuel that underlies all of this, Bill, is the conspiracism, is these these conspiracy theories and the, the Alex Joneses of the world. And Jones had been around since the nineties. Um, and you know, he, there was definitely a, a, a big gap between the conspiracy theorists and mainstream conservatism all during the Bush years, mainly because their primary conspiracy theory was, you know, the nine 11 truth th- theories. And that, that was what they were all about during the, the first decade of, of the new century. And, um, Clearly, mainstream Republicans wanted nothing to do with this because the object of that, you know, the ultimate uh, uh, nefarious conspirator in the theories was George W. Bush. So uh, it wasn't until Barack Obama was elected that we saw suddenly that gap just close altogether, that instead of maintaining their distance from conspiracy theorists, A lot of conservatives are actually openly embracing them. And we certainly saw that, you know, in the form of Glenn Beck, uh, the the birther conspiracy theories. Um, All of these various conspiracy theories that started bubbling up uh, as soon as Barack Obama was elected. And it just got worse and worse with every passing year to the point that it really, you know, by the time – well, you know, Trump Trump came along in 2011 – and really, rode to political prominence on the back of the birther theories, and he maintained that for the following four or five years.
1: So, is are are you arguing that you know the lion's share of the Trump coalition are these conspiracy theorists, or they're, or are they a, a smaller piece that um, gives a certain uh, energy and enthusiasm, bringing people in off the? political sidelines who otherwise don't show up to vote?
0: Well, I even say it's actually the lion's share. I think when we look at the polling of um, you know, you look at the polling of, of, of Republicans and particularly Trump voters um, you know, the vast majority of them believe that Barack Obama was a Muslim. They believe that his uh, uh, birth certificate was fake. They believe that Democrats and George Soros are participating in a conspiracy to undermine western white civilization um this is this is nothing new i mean the the polls show that clearly a, a large majority of those voters um very much are part of that world
1: now we happen to be recording uh the day after uh roseanne barr's show was canceled after her tweets about valerie jarrett uh and most have focused on uh, the the racist overtones to those tweets, but they also are speaking about a conspiracy theory involving Valerie Jarrett that probably most Americans don't even know what she's talking about. Um, but <laughs> when, you, when you saw it, did did, it, did it, it it you know ring a bell with you about what she was talking about?
0: Oh sure, yeah. Actually, I I follow Roseanne because partly because she is a very prominent. Um, spreader, uh, you know, very prominent node for the spread of these conspiracy theories. In particular, um, she's been really writing on this uh, the Q QAnon conspiracy theories. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but this was sort of the latest permutation in the Alex Jones world of of, of these theories, uh, these conspiracies that they believe are. Um, revolving around Trump and the Mueller, or the Mueller investigation and Russia, um, you know, it, it's a really convoluted theory. But basically, they believe that, you know, in the end, Trump is actually going to, uh, and Mueller, in fact, are going to turn around and arrest Obama and Clinton, not Donald Trump. That's that's what the Q theory is about. And it, it, Roseanne was one of the main. Uh, People participating in this, you know, as a major node in Twitter for the spread of these theories. And so she's been been doing this stuff for years. She's been dabbling in conspiracy theories. Um, And some of them are really profoundly anti-Semitic, including the uh, George Soros conspiracy theory that she was dabbling in just the very same day that she was tweeting out stuff about Valerie Jarrett.
1: Well, what is the uh, when, you, when you look back at the 30 years of this, uh, as you do in your book, Alt America, um, a- a- anti-Semitism uh, seems to be a constant thread. And I- I'm personally a little befuddled by that. Uh, not, you could maybe see how people might have there might be a racist backlash after having an African-American uh, president for eight years. Uh, but why is why is anti-Semitism? A constant. Why? Why do almost all conspiracy theories seem to you know lead back to that at some point?
0: Well, a lot of it has to do with the origin of the whole conspiracy theory world, which you know goes back to the 1920s when uh, Henry Ford published uh, the International Jew, uh, which was a repackaging, repa- uh, basically an English packaging of the protocols of the Seven Elders of Zion, which was then, in fact, picked up by Adolf Hitler. You know, and, and widely spread by Hitler in the twenties. Um, Ford uh, did later in the late nineteen thirties apologize uh, for publishing this this text, but um, it's never gone away. Um, and honestly, those the the uh, protocols of the Seven Elders of Zion probably is one of the, the very earliest conspiracy theories. Although I I found when I was actually um, Researching the Japanese American internment, that these theories preceded even the the anti-Semitic theories. Uh, by you know, there there are theories that the the yellow peril theory that was aimed at at uh, preventing Japanese immigration. Uh, was, you know, basically a big conspiracy theory as well. So uh, they've been around, but, but the, the anti Semitic conspiracy theories have always been the very sort of meat and bones of the conspiracism world. And a lot of that has to do with the sort of shape of them. They, you have to have, uh, in order for conspiracy theories to work, you actually have to have a, a target, um, uh, group such as Jews um, that a lot of people don't necessarily have a lot of contact with. And it, so it becomes very easy to make them scapegoats in these series, as well as, you know, make them out to be nefarious actors in a, in an evil plot. And that really is, is kind of the bottom line of it. But the but the point of conspiracism has always been to undermine democracy. I mean, that's a lot of these the original conspiracy theories were, you know, date back to um, the you know the Illuminati conspiracy theories that were uh, raised in the eighteen hundreds in Europe um, were actually attempts by the monarchists to keep people. Who were attracted to the Reformation and uh, the Enlightenment from gaining actual um, uh, influence, and it has to do with basically it's it's all about the people who are who already have control and power use conspiracism as a means of um, separating people from the democratic values that might actually otherwise give them the power that they would have to overtake these sort of oligarchic influences so that really is the bottom line i mean i mean think about how conspiracy theories work bill you've got you have people who um believe them because a it feels initially empowering You feel like you've got secret knowledge that nobody else has and, and that you can see beyond the veil and you know, it's, it, it, it has a very empowering feeling to it. That's a, a lot of their appeal. But further along you go into the world of conspiracism, the overarching narrative that, that you absorb is this sense that the average individual is actually up against forces so deep and entrenched and, entrenched and nefarious that they have no chance of, of overcoming them. So, they, you're ultimately the, where that narrative arc takes you is to, you know, living in a cabin in the woods with a, a cache of beans and rice in a bomb shelter. And, and it totally disengaging from your democracy, thinking, believing that your vote is a joke, that, that democracy itself is a joke. And, and that is what the narrative of conspiracism really is about. It's about persuading people to give up on their democracy.
1: So as you've been tracking uh, these groups uh, all, you know, more recently, now you have the conspiracy theory movement electing someone who traveled in conspiracy theories himself, you know starting with, with the with the birther conspiracy. Uh, in the White House, I mean that that's unusual for conspiracy theorists to see them electing one of their own uh, to a place of power. How does how has that altered their view of the world? Well, it's it's actually rather funny because now, of
0: course, all of the conspiracies are. I mean, I mean, in some ways, it's it hasn't changed a lot because they see Trump as being up against these uh, forces of globalism that they're. They're always going on and on about. They see and any criticism of him uh, and anything that anything you know, not just criticism, but any scandal into which he falls, is in their view something just generated uh, on behalf of these evil globalists. And um, so you know, that's it, it. Definitely makes them it's it puts them in an opposition because yeah, they've always uh, opposed um the government, but now they've kind of shifted things now that they've got one of their own in government um, to now they're attacking the deep state. and so that's why you hear Sean Hannity and all these guys yammering on endlessly about the deep state because that's the those that's the sort of node of the globalist conspiracy now that now that their own man is is actually running the government.
1: Now, in your book, and we're, we're talking to David Nywat, author of Alt-America, which was published by uh, Verso, um, a- a- as much as looking at uh, far-right extremism or any sort of extremism, there's a certain... Um, there's, a, there's a comical nature to it at times, but it gets very serious when you talk about acts of domestic terrorism. Uh, can you explain... Uh, the the history of uh, far-right domestic terrorism in recent years and 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 why is it that uh that threat is, has not been taken as seriously as international terrorism
0: sure well um I, I actually started writing a lot about domestic terrorism in the 1990s mainly because of oklahoma city and eric rudolph and the spate of domestic terrorism that we had then and um As, you know, as the next century moved in uh, and, you know, during the Bush years, the patriot movement uh, definitely went into decline, as did the domestic terrorism that accompanies it. Um, However, by late in Bush's tenure, we started seeing uh, a return of these militias. And we also started seeing... um, very much an increase in the domestic terrorism to so much to the point that beginning in 2008, I started, I created a database that we ran for eventually published at reveal news just last summer um, of domestic terrorism. And uh, I started keeping track of all the cases. Uh, The really kind of signal case was in June of 2008 when uh, a man named, Jim David Atkison walked into a Unitarian church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and began gunning people down. Um, he was tackled by some of the churchgoers and wound up standing trial, and, and he's in prison for life now. Um, but out in his car, he'd written a manifesto that was all about uh, how he had um, come to just deeply hate liberals, and it was very clear that he had mostly come to deeply hate liberals by consuming Fox News, uh, Rush Limbaugh, Michael Savage, and various right-wing media. And he had come to the conclusion that the only way to deal with them is to start killing them. And his manifesto urged people to do that. Um, ever since then, we've we've since we have seen just a real steady stream of. Uh, it definitely was a, a major increase in right wing domestic terrorism. Basically, between um, 2008 and 2016, uh, in those nine years, that nine year span, incl- inclusive of t- both years, um, there was, we saw about 116 cases of right wing domestic terrorism. Uh, In this country, most of them were a lot of them were related to the sovereign citizen movement. Um, Sovereign citizen movement uh, is so radical, right, that they don't believe that uh, that federal authorities have any authority at all and that even your local police are part of the Jewish conspiracy. So uh, they have they uh, frequently engage in shootings of local policemen. Um, It's pretty ironic that there have been many more people killed at the hands of white sovereign citizens uh, than have ever been even attacked by uh, folks in Black Lives Matter. But you'll hear, for some reason, yet we have this perception that Black Lives Matter is a threat to our cops. And in fact, it's not that true. It's simply not true at all uh, that the threat to our cops actually comes from. R- white right wing domestic terrorists and in those same nine years bill we saw about sixty uh cases of islamist terrorism so the there were more than uh, nearly double the cases of right wing domestic uh, terrorists that, that there were of supposed islamists uh engaged and And the uh, levels of violence were remarkably different, partly because almost all of the Islamist cases involved uh, preemptive arrests. Because we devoted after 9-11, we we devoted all these resources to catching Islamists. And the resources devoted to focusing on right-wing extremists simply went away. The department, the the section within the Department of uh, Homeland Security devoted to um, focusing on right-wing extremists uh, was was shrunk from uh, was over something like 15 people to one. Uh, and it, yet we were devoting, all, at the same time, literally hundreds of people were, were engaged in counterterrorism, dealing with the supposed Islamist threat. So, um, you know, it, hell how this had to do with the way it was being reported in the media the media simply don't pay attention when it's a white guy who does terrorism i mean think of how reluctant people were to uh, call dylan roof a domestic terrorist and yet he he clearly fit every criteria that you would have for a domestic terrorist he had i mean he wrote a manifesto he uh, engaged. He had fully terrorist content. He wanted to start a race war and he killed people, you know, uh, killed innocent people. So, I mean, it's not much – there isn't much more you need to to describe a, a domestic terrorist if you understand what the definition of terrorism is.
1: Do we have a hard time – I mean, people sometimes point out you know, we, we don't call – White domestic terrorists, terrorists for uh, perhaps for racial reasons, is it is it also possible that they don't have a singular group that they're a part of? You know, there, there's no swearing allegiance to ISIS. If if there was a group, there was like one group they were all a part of, then maybe you'd think of it as a terrorist entity. But since there, this is happening in more of a loose, decentralized way, we don't think of it that way.
0: Well, that's true, except of course uh, one of the major. Uh, movements involved in this is sovereign citizen movement. And FEI actually does identify sovereign citizens as a domestic terrorist movement. Um, so yeah, I mean, to some extent that's true. The real problem is the law, the way the laws are written. Um, as with hate crimes, uh, terrorism is a matter of sort of definition, but, uh, but it also, you don't, you, p- prosecutors are reluctant to prosecute people for, um, for any of the laws that might actually call them terrorists um, because it requires another level of, of evidence and it makes their prosecution much more difficult. So usually they will prosecute people for the underlying crime because that's what they will be putting them away for, uh on under you know that's what offers them the chance to put these people in prison. so it's it's really kind of it's and it's also very clear that we have these laws that are actually written specifically to take on Islamist terrorists and designate their work what they do as a form of terrorism, and they aren't they aren't applied uniformly across the board. Uh, We can't it's harder to it is actually harder to charge a white person uh, with domestic terrorism in this country than it is uh, someone who has uh, an Arabic background.
1: Uh, Now, you have spoken to members of various um, far right groups over the course of your uh, reporting, and that's and that's shown in the book. Can you tell us about some of the people you've talked to and uh, what have you gotten from them that you might not otherwise pick up uh, through uh, other reporting and 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 why do you think it is that they that they wanted to talk to you and willing to share with them you know the details of their beliefs?
0: Well, they actually. I mean, a lot of this has to do with um, you know a lot of times they'll talk to journalists because they think they could convert you. <laughs> so you know, I prefer <laughs> to just kind of let the people speak and and uh, and and use what they say. Um, I think what. My book does more than anything, as it provides really a broad and deep context for what is happening now. Um, A lot of the the events that I describe are actually things that people will go, "Oh, I remember that happening," but they didn't put it in the larger context of of how this um, of you know the the sort of trends that we saw coalescing under Trump and. so, you know, to some extent, uh, mostly trying to give people the sort of uh, informational context for understanding how we got here. Uh, but it's also, um, I'm also framing things in a way that gives people uh, the context to understand that, you know, what what uh, Trump is doing is fundamentally promoting uh, right-wing authoritarianism and that is a trend that goes back a long ways uh, in this country in fact it's always been latent in the american personality and what what trump has done i think more than anything has has been to tap into that latent strain and expand on it um and and i you know i think it's not
1: a it's not a healthy t- 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 is a
0: threat at all, so it's it's obviously very divisive. Are
1: there are there limits to how much he can do that? Because we we still have a constitution, we still have a diffuse uh, power structure with with checks and balances. Um, we still have midterm elections, where possibly the pendulum can swing. Uh, The other way. So do you have a, is there a sense that this is the high watermark of how far, far right conspiracy theorists can get, or do you have more of a darker, you know, can it happen here? Can fascism happen here? Yes, it can. And we're watching it happen right now.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, I, I, of course, I, I didn't think he would actually win the election either, but I, but I really believe, you know, American voters are smarter than this. And, um, I think, you know, we'll see in the next two elections. Uh, I I believe in my heart of hearts that, yeah, people are going to rise up and come out to the polls and vote in large numbers both this year and, and in 2020 and sort of overturn this verdict and this trend. Um, they could prove me wrong. The, the thing that bothers me is and worries me is that um, the checks and balances are clearly not gonna work because those checks and balances included having a congress that was willing to stand up to an authoritarian president as well as a supreme court that would do so that that's what our checks and balances are and right now we don't have a congress that will do it and i don't think we have a court that will either
1: circling circling back a bit to uh to roseanne uh roseanne Barr, uh she is not someone who was seen as a conservative until more recently. And even some conservatives will still say she's a far left liberal, not a far right conservative. Um, in your research, uh, how much does the far left extreme and the far right extreme, uh, do come together? I mean, there, there have been cases of far left domestic terrorism. There's been the unit bomber. Uh, there was the congressional shooter who was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, is it something that is just a facet of the far right, or do you see it on both sides? Oh, yeah. Um,
0: well, particularly when you get to the very, very radical far left, the, uh, um, you know, the folks in Occupy, uh, there's I've certainly cer- seen a huge amount of bleed over uh, from people who are involved in Occupy, who later became uh, hardcore Trumpers. Um in part because they hated uh, Hillary Clinton with such a white-hot passion, but also, I think, because that they were inclined to this populist outlook in the first place, as well as the conspiracism. I mean, and this is a trend that I certainly saw going back in the 90s. Uh, there are a lot of people on the very far left um, who've always been prone to conspiracism as well. Uh, you know, the the... Contrails conspiracy, or the chemtrails conspiracy theories, the various health conspiracy theories, um, and, and you know, and I used to go to these hippie barter fairs here in the Northwest in the nineties, and encounter uh, these conspiracy theorists working uh, with folks on the far left. You know, UFO theories. Uh, David Icke's is uh, is probably the most prominent one, the guy who believes that our leaders are actually uh, alien lizard people from another uh, galaxy. Um, You know, and this stuff's been floating around for years. So there definitely is a a tendency towards it. And ultimately, it does come down to authoritarian personalities. There are right-wing authoritarian personalities. There are also left-wing authoritarian personalities. And authoritarian personalities aren't the people who want to rise up and be the authoritarian leader. They're the ones who want an authoritarian in power running things. And that's what authoritarianism really is all about. It's not, a, we always think of authoritarianism in terms of the person on top, but the, the genuine phenomenon of authoritarianism is actually all done happening on the ground. And, um, and it's all about the people who, who buy into the need for, um, a, a, an authoritarian leader, and or in the case of uh, left wing authoritarians, um, they sort of substitute the uh, strong the strongman type with rather the utopian state that they wish to achieve. Although they also often believe, uh, really frequently believe that that uh, a utopian state can best be achieved. Under the leadership of a singular authoritarian figure, so so they often come to resemble each other, in a lot of ways. Uh, but uh, ultimately, authoritarianism is fueled by fear. It's all about fear. You know, when people are in a fearful and chaotic state where they can't uh, ascertain what's true and what's not. The default response is to uh, resort to authoritarianism because it at least offers a prospect of some sense of some semblance of stability and security, which is
1: really what people want now this is uh always the the unfair question of uh, what should people do what what can knowing all this information uh people who are concerned about um, the power of uh, conspiracy theorism uh, in our politics, what, could, what can be able to do to try to quell it?
0: Well, first, it's very hard. Um, once people go down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole, it's it's almost impossible to pull them out. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of love. And um, and it's, it's really, really hard because uh, they're really immune to logic and facts and reason. Uh, the only thing that they're actually not immune to is, is um, emotional appeals and um, personal narratives. And yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, But really simply put, I mean, the uh, the flip side is that actually the short-term answer uh, right now is it's really very simple. Vote. Get everybody you know out to vote. Get everybody off Mm -hmm. their butts and -hmm. get them into the voting booths. Because this is a profoundly anti-democratic movement. It's about undermining democracy. It's about putting democracy in the hands of oligarchs, and or putting our our, our society in the hands of oligarchs, and 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 it, it actually ceding our own political power that is embodied in the vote um, to other people. So, um, yeah, that's uh, the bottom line. Is if, and the only thing ultimately that, that these guys actually understand is raw political power. So if you beat them about the heads and necks at the polls, um, eventually a lot of this stuff loses its teeth. And people who are then in the, in the very engaged in the hard work of pulling their friends and loved ones out of the conspiracist rabbit hole uh, actually, have a much better chance at succeeding um, as long as these guys are in power. It's really hard because uh, these guys, you know, the, we call the ha- conspiracists, have, conspiracists. Have to do is, you know, look up to the top of the heap right now and say, "Hey, stuff's working. It's all true," you know. And so, um, yeah, I, the the answer in a lot of ways, at least for us right now, is is pretty simple. Uh, just get people out to the polls as many as you can get everybody out to vote it's because it's it's about it's about saving democracy it's about reviving democracy
1: the book is alt america the rise of the radical right in the age of trump published by verso uh david nywart thanks for being on new books and politics
0: hey thanks for having me bill i really appreciate it